Welcome to our special Money and Esports series on Sports Geek. In this episode, I share our panel discussion about all things esports and broadcasting. Welcome to Sports Geek, the podcast built for sports digital and sports business professionals. And now, here's your host who thinks most pro teams will have a Twitch channel by year's end, Sean Callanan. Thanks, DJ Joel. Yes, my name is Sean Callanan from Sports Geek. You're listening to Sports Geek, the podcast. This special subseries of Money in Esports is a rebroadcast of our event in Sydney. This was the final panel of the day discussing the world of broadcasting in esports and discussing it with Lewis Mitchell from Twitch, Ben Green from ASL, and Jackie Garrett from GGWP Academy. We discussed things like streaming, uh, the differences between broadcasting and shoutcasting, how esports broadcasts are different, metrics around Twitch and understanding them and how they're different to other to other platforms. And even we discussed the move of Ninja from Twitch to Mixer. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, tomorrow we will be out and in force at Melbourne Esports Open. If you haven't secured your tickets yet um, and want to come along, you can do so um, at sportsgeekhq slash MEO 2019. Get a discounted ticket. Um, if you haven't got tickets to our MEO guided tour, you can do so at sgesports.com slash MEO tour. If you want to discuss esports after listening to this series, please reach out. Uh, go to sgesports.com to book in a call. I'm happy to talk about what I've learned being in the space um, about esports and understanding how it can be leveraged. But please enjoy this chat about esports and broadcasting with Lewis Mitchell, Ben Green, and Jackie Garrett. Last panel for today, talk about broadcast. Um, so if I can get our panellists uh, to come up. Uh, Lewis Mitchell uh, from Twitch. Ben Green, he's had shout-outs already today. Uh, from ASL and Shoutcaster. And Jack, Jackie Garrett from Take a Seat. And let's have a... I think uh, had a few mentions so far today. Lewis, you've done all right. Few, a few Twitch mentions. A few Something. Twitch mentions. Yeah. Um, yeah, we want to talk about yeah talk about broadcast um, and how it's different. And um, I think last time I caught up with you, I mentioned that I was at a a conference that was targeting youth marketing, and I think it was maybe three hundred marketers in the room. And I said, "Who's heard of Twitch?" And still, not a lot. You know, not as many hands as you know. Now I'm in the space. Went up as I um, as I thought. Uh, should have gone up now. Um, so, what's your you're out there as uh, you're at, you're working for Twitch? What's your what's your role and how do you pitch Twitch? Sure. Uh, so, my role so my title is partner lead for Australia and New Zealand. My role kind of gets split into a couple of different uh, facets. So, on one side, it's about content retention. We have big influencers that build their own businesses, build their own content, uh, and build their own brand, essentially, on the Twitch platform. Um, we look after them in the same way that a, you know, a, uh, you'd have an account manager for your brands. If you were a PR company, we look after our influencers and our, our content creators in the same way. The other side of it is uh, content acquisition. So very much talking about the benefits of Twitch. What do we do that's new? What's, why has it become this behemoth? Even if the, the general public still needs to hear about it, uh, what are the tools? What was it that drew, drew people towards Twitch in the first place? And so an, an education piece from that perspective. Um, and then from the other side, it's, it's marketing and, and trying to find the right people that we think are going to really enjoy the content that we're bringing on there. Yes, thank, uh, uh, thank you. Because I think if, those, if that audience was under 24, they're all putting their hand up. And that's the, and that's the case that I've, you know, when I've sp- speaking to marketing managers, brand managers, people new to the space, and they're starting to understand esports, that's where they're like, huh? And that, that's where you get that. But if you talk to anyone you know, under the age of 24 that's into gaming, Twitch is where their go-to channel. Yeah, we've really got a lot of the organic audience and anyone that has been in the gaming space anyone that's looked at the anything competitive within gaming has ended up in, on twitch at some point or another 
So I've done a terrible job of introducing everyone and setting up the panel. Lewis and I are just having a conversation. Uh, so I will get to uh, get around because I want to talk to Jackie around what you do with GGWP and explaining what that is. And I will talk to Ben as a shoutcaster um, and also working at, at ASL. So I'll start with you first, Jackie. What is GGWP? Um, and explain more about what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Jacqueline Garrett, and I'm the founder and CEO of GGWP Academy. Um, stands for Good Game Well Played, for those not in the gaming space. Um, we are basically developing the first e-learning uh, platform that will teach gamers how to monetize a career in gaming. So we are teaching them to become smarter influencers, essentially. Um, I, I guess... Uh, more to the point, content creators, uh, influencers is a bit of a no-no still, in gaming, isn't it? <laughs> you're negotiating with yourself on what you should call them all. Um, but, yeah, definitely. And the reason, you know, the reason I wanted you on the panel was to talk about, and because we've talked about it today with Twitch and the wider piece of gaming and streaming and esports, um, and the piece that you're looking at is one, how do gamers use a platform like Twitch to engage an audience, which is what Lewis was talking about, um, and then how are they a part of that ecosystem? Yep. And then the part that we've been talking about is how do you help an eSport athlete that plays, hopefully, on a Friday night, um, but then how do they engage in a platform like Twitch and, and understand that platform? Sure. And that's pretty much what you're look, looking to do and training people up on how to use platforms like Twitch? Yeah, essentially we're teaching them how to build a personal brand, how to build and grow their audience, and then how to leverage that audience for sponsorship. Uh, the second half of our platform will end up being a marketplace that um, creates a more authentic link between the gamers or their brand and the brands that are looking to influence through them. So, yeah. Cool. So, Ben, you're unique um, as someone that wears multiple hats uh, you have a have a hat rack yourself um, as a shoutcaster, but then also work in business development for ESL, which is a promoter in, uh, in this in the space and has been mentioned before. Can you explain uh, what a shoutcaster is and how they are different? Even though you've got all these accolades and uh, pats on the back already today, what what does a shoutcaster do? Yeah, so a shoutcaster is sent essentially is you know a commentator for video games for esports, I suppose. Um, I would say it is quite similar to traditional sports, uh, but in the, in the same vein, it's I think it's got a lot of difficulties that come with it that you don't necessarily get in traditional sports. Um, what would they be but for me? Like right, so if you are if you're a cricket commentator, right, we're watching the Ashes at the moment. You know, um, some of these guys they've grown up playing cricket. Um, they played cricket. They played for the Australian cricket team. They played in the Ashes, and now they commentate cricket, and they're in That's- their 60s. That, that's pretty much the, the sports commentary yeah. Uh, path. Yeah. Um, I play video games. I play lots of video games, uh, but I've commentated probably 15 to 20 different esports in the last two years, uh, some of which, uh, as we said, you're developing the rules as you go. Sometimes there's nothing necessarily to base it on. You haven't been able to watch 60 years' worth of this video game. It's It came out three months ago, um, and now you're trying to, to commentate something that's... Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of evolving as you go. So it's quite different. Um, but it is, the similarities is you're trying to explain what's happening, uh, weave a story around it, uh, try to build the drama. Um, you know, we did, see your, we did see your face at the Fortnite Summer Smash and Rob talked about it. It was still, you know, there was debates on, is it an eSport? Will people watch it? And so you get called up to say, hey, can you commentate this, this game? What was that kind of like getting involved, and it's not just yourself, a multiple casting team, working with different people, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was, it was very cool. Um, obviously, um, Fortnite Summer Smash at the Australian Open was, was a, a very exciting event, one of, the, one of the coolest events I worked on for sure. Um, for us, it was a combination of an international team coming down, um, some of those big influences, some of the guys who actually did end up commentating the, the Fortnite World Cup that we saw uh, just the other week. Um, and then working with, with commentators here in Australia who, again, not all of us are Fortnite casters. You can't, it's very hard to go out and, and commentate Fortnite because there's not actually that much competitive Fortnite going on. Um, you can't really go and commentate someone playing a game on Twitch if it's not a competitive game because it's a very different style of game. So for me, 
Rob was, was talking a little bit earlier about uh, how, uh, as part of the process to get everything approved, we did a bit of a, um, a secret test run in the ESL studios. And I'd never shoutcast Fortnite before. Um, and I jumped in there and had to shout cast with the guys back in America watching, uh, with the, waiting for the tick of approval about whether we could run it or not. And, uh, you know, doing the research and, and learning as much as I can. And uh, we got it across the line in the end. So it was good, but uh, definitely the pressure was on. So we've heard, you know, again, from traditional sports, if I'm looking at, you know, AFL or cricket, you know, you hear Bruce McAvaney, who's, you know, the doyen of sports broadcasters here, puts in months of preparation for an event like the Brownlow or the Grand Final to have all those snippets. What does, what's preparing for a, uh, for a tournament, you know, like that, whether it's, you know, all the different tiles you do, what is the preparation for that, for that kind of cast? Yeah, it's, uh, it's similar but different, I suppose, which is uh, kind of the vein, right, that we get between traditional sports and esports. There's a lot of watching videos of, of old content, um, watching how the team's qualified, a lot of research, uh, the numbers, how are they playing, who are they playing. Um, some of the difficulties, though, will be that maybe you can't find out information about the players who are playing. You could have a 16-team tournament that's the finals for teams around the world, uh, but one of those teams is from China. It was only broadcast in China. The broadcast was in Chinese. All of the information about the teams is in Chinese. How do you learn about that team, particularly for a, a very new sport? So there's a lot of difficulties there as well. Um, I think as well, again, the, the multi-game aspect is also makes it a little bit more difficult in that, um, you know, you might cast two or three or four different titles in one week, potentially, depending on how busy you are, and trying to move between between them at the different uh, different terms. If you're casting Fortnite, if you say the word kill, you're going to get a text message from someone that says, uh, why did you say the K word? You know, it's eliminations. There's that sort of thing as well. So, yep. um, yeah, it, it's, all, it's, it's all very dependent on the game and the publisher. And, you know, it, again, similar but different. And I guess the unique thing about Twitch um, is you get that feedback instantaneously you don't have to go to another platform you don't have to go anywhere to go wonder what they think right so lewis again if people aren't familiar with with twitch it's you know integrated chat feature like what are some of the things that i guess you learn you know from that and what why it makes twitch so unique yeah uh, it's funny so people see twitch as this new video platform and yes it is absolutely a video platform it's like the new television and in our mind it's not actually really the new television it's more if you want to put it into an old media perspective it's more new form am radio where you actually get uh personalities and uh, they will have as long as they want to talk about particular topics that they want to talk about uh, people tune in for the personalities and they tune in for specific reasons, but then they want to be part of the conversation. So you, in the same way you've got talkback radio, you've got people that are in the chat system giving you, like you say, that feedback, whether it's through emojis, which is a big thing on Twitch, um, or just paste, copy-pasting things. If there's a lot going on in the chat, you'll tend to find the same things will be posted again and again it's in the same frame as when Liverpool walk onto the pitch in Anfield, you've got everyone singing, you'll never walk alone. You'll have the same sort of thing where people will post the same thing of like, spam this noodle to help skadoodle. And you've just got a whole bunch of people doing that sort of thing. It's the same concept. But then you've got the individual creators where people want to talk and sit and interact with these guys for a while. So it really hits on both ends of the spectrum of seeing the best of the best playing these games that I play that game and I want to learn more about that game like we saw with the Nielsen data. But then also all the way down to, I just want to have a conversation with someone and you can find somebody playing a game, which isn't necessarily esports, but just a relaxed, I enjoy the game, let's go, let's have a conversation together. So this is a question for both Ben and Jackie as far as, like, so how do you, because at some point the broadcast becomes so successful, as a caster or as a streamer, it's hard to keep up. How do you appropriately dip into the chat with and still stay on point in, with the game. So maybe first you, Ben. Yeah, I I don't read chat um, as, as a commentator. Yep. You can, and I know some people who do, um, but there's going to be a lot in there and it's going to say a lot of things and you're not going to like all of it. If everyone who watched the footy uh, got to send you a message that, that told you what they thought of you, how you're playing footy or what you're talking about, you maybe you're not going to like it all. So for me personally, uh, in that regard, I, I ignore it. Uh, if I go back and I, I'll watch... My VOD, my uh, review, you know, the 
the, the past broadcast, and I'll, I'll take note of comments then. Um, but on the fly, it, it just tilts me, so I won't do it. But it, and it's just too hard. Yeah, to... it, it, is, it is too hard. And I think even um, for influencers and IRL streamers and people playing at home, you've got to interact as well. But I think you get to the point, right, Jackie, where there's so many people that you, you need to really pick and choose. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some streamers will only interact with their subs, people who actually subscribe to their channel. Uh, some content creators will um, try and keep up with chat as much as they can, but focus more on their game. It really just depends on what they're playing, their personality and what their chat is like. But they would also have uh, people in their chat called moderators, people who will actually help them by answering questions or prompting bots or um, those sorts of things as well so there are other ways of um controlling that yeah but it is a it is a community piece and you know um in other channels they'll they would say hey you know tweet this and be over here whereas with twitch you can just say put a one in a chat if you think we're going to win and and you see there and you see all the ones and then there's this one guy puts in a three just because he's unique right or puts in an emoji it's like it's not a number mate um, and so that's ways that they can uh, go backwards and forwards. But I think also the piece is the fact that there's this community being built around it, the fact that a streamer or an esport or a broadcast can have moderators and the like that are in the chat and part of that piece and it's sort of like having a chat uh, a producer in a sense. I think that also goes further that uh, when a streamer creates a community around themselves, they build this loyalty bubble that... Uh, works not only in Twitch but also in their Discord channels. Um, they take that community uh, cross-platform and that's where you really begin to see the potential ROI that a content creator can actually have. When you see that crossover of channels and that loyalty that spans different platforms, um, I think that's where you see the real value from a brand p- perspective. Yeah, so the way I've been describing it for many years is developing your own digital cheer squad. Right, and the Twitch chat and the people in, in either in a stream or later in the OPL match, the people that are there, they're at the very top of the of the of the avid fan because they're in there and engaged in in that space. But it does provide yeah unique feedback and like again, if you're looking at peak parts of the broadcast, something happens, you do get holy hell, what oh my goodness, or you know. Someone mispronounces something. Holy hell, oh my goodness. It's right there. And to, to kind of give context as well why Twitch became the platform that people came to is before it really came along, I, I, I'll openly say that esports really grew at the same pace as Twitch grew because before that, there, there was nothing to watch esports on. There were some odd European channels that might have put some competitive gaming on. Competitive gaming has existed since, you know, Pong, since the days that a competition started. In fact, the whole reason that it got invented was because two professors creating the game wanted to see who could be better at it. Anyway, um, but it, it wasn't accessible for a lot of people. So when you've got a platform that you, you have a lot of people who want to feel validated that I like this. Do other people like this? They then find this platform and they can chat about it because that was the other really big piece about it and why we really put a lot of emphasis on the chat. That's when you start getting this congregation and why Twitch becomes synonymous with the world of esports because, honestly, we were the first really to give it that global push and to give it that global platform that a lot of people went, oh, I really like this. And now it's, it's just become the behemoth that it is. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, I think it's the startup podcast that did a profile and went back on the startup of Twitch. And for those who don't know, it started as Justin TV. That was right? a lot of illegal sport on that mm. platform. Yeah, no, like, but a lot of illegal sport. But there was, a, and, and, and it started and it became a, yeah, a streaming platform and there was a lot of legal issues and, and pretty much they went, well, if we can't, if we have to stop all of this and, uh, there was a lot of people streaming in, you know, things they didn't have rights to and I think it was three percent of the viewership of what what it was was gaming yep. and, and it also helped that the four co-founders that started the platform were also huge gamers so it's like all right well we like this and we'll then just pivot just pivoted for, to that absolutely and uh, you know uh, and then you know fast forward to go from you know three percent of the platform to go oh we'll do this gaming to be all gaming and then Amazon come along right and just go whack with this big bag of cash because they're Amazon, how has Twitch changed? 
Honestly, Amazon, when they acquire companies, are really good at going... Uh, and there's actually a bit of an anecdote from when we were, I was chatting to one of our co-founders when they went to Jeff's house and he sat down with them and literally... Was he the, wearing the jacket the, the, that no, he always wears? No, they went wears. to his boathouse oh. and it was a four-bedroom house on the lake of this huge Seattle mansion. And the first thing he said to them was, I don't get this. I, I don't get it. What is it? And they had to sit for out, like a fair few hours kind of explaining why it... And the reason that he asked, wanted to talk to them is it was the fourth highest bandwidth user in the US at the time. Um, and they would literally explain it to him. It's like, I, I don't fully understand it, but obviously, um, to paraphrase, the kids do. So uh, Amazon has always been very good at, hey, we, we understand, you understand this business better than we do. Uh, we'll help you with the processes because we've got there, we've got to the, the, the high end of town and you will need to get there and there will be certain things we need to step in on. Uh, but mostly, that you know, they've just let us kind of do our own thing. We're in a completely different city. We're based in San Francisco, they're in Seattle and we talk to each other, like, depends on the department, but some departments only talk to them once a year. So, Very cool. So, Ben, I want to want you to change hats now, take your, take your headset off and put your ESL hat on. Uh, talking about esports, tell me a little bit about your role in, I guess, selling esports in this region. Yeah, so I'm one of the a partnership manager at ESL here in Australia. So we are ESL being the the world's largest independent esports company. So essentially, we don't own any games, we don't make games, um, but we make leagues and products around those games, either for ourselves that we sell sponsorships on, or for publishers or partners like Tennis Australia. Um, where, you know, we, we go and we do the legwork to, to make it happen from start to finish, potentially. Um, so for me, I work with uh, all our partners here in Australia um, and some globally as well. That could be publishers, that could be sponsors like Intel, um, who are one of our, our bigger partners worldwide. Um, so it really just depends. For me, it's, it's an interesting day-to-day for sure between trying to re- reply to calls and do emails in amongst an Overwatch broadcast. It's, uh, it is fun for sure. And so, um, you know, there's been discussion, again, uh, the landscape keeps moving from year to year. How has that, how has the conversation changed over the last couple of years and what are sponsors looking for when they're saying, oh, esports, heard it's hot. Saw, saw this kid on Fortnite on my, on my feed and they come in and go, yeah, what's the next steps? What are they asking for, um, you know, from a sponsorship point of view, especially these, I guess, newer sponsors coming on board? Yeah, things have definitely changed in the, in the last couple of years for sure. Um, for me, I really noticed it when the Intel Extreme Masters, when we brought that down um, to Australia for the first time, that was the first oh moment, I think, for a lot of uh, local brands where I think esports is one of those things where you have to see to believe. Um, you have to go and experience. You might say, I don't necessarily understand it at this point, um, but you can go and you can sit in an arena like at Kudos when all of a sudden there's 7,000 Aussie fans cheering for an Australian team. Um, you're like, I don't know what's happening on the screen, but this feels like sport to me. Yep. This feels the same. Um, so as those, uh, for us, those non-endemic partners have, have been getting interested, uh, firstly, they want to understand the space, but they also want to own parts of the space in, in the same way. Um, you don't just want to put your logo on something, right? You want it to be genuine. You want to do it in the right way and you want, uh, to be able to control, I suppose, some of that content. So, in the same way that you know, there's uh, you got the KFC buckets on the NRL for uh, with try no try when it goes to the bunker. We'll have a Macca's play of the game in in Overwatch. Um, you know, and Twitch chat goes off when that when that comes out. You know, yep. they, they love their Maccas. Um, so yeah, I think for me, the sponsors they want to come in, they want to understand, um, they want I think to invest at a a lower level to begin with. Um, but once they they can get their head around it and maybe their agency gets their head around it. it. It certainly moves towards, all right, how can I own a piece of this content? How can I genuinely interact with this audience? Yeah, so like I was at uh, Intel Extreme Masters at Kudos earlier this year and like watching that audience, and you're right, it is, it's like looking at uh, Bay 13 20 years ago at the cricket, right, and all the, and all the uh, fans stretching with Merv Hughes, because that's what they were. They were 22-year-olds having a whole bunch of fun at the cricket, and this is what was happening. And so you've got, and it's sort of what we discussed with Rob, you've got this in-event thing happening, and the cast is a part of it, the fans are part of it. But I think the unique piece was that how Twitch was part of it. One, around, one, you've got the broadcast and people are watching, but then how Twitch chat got involved and effectively 
the Twitch chat just started saying, what are the Aussie fans doing? And it was red flag to a bull. And then 8,000 fans just started singing Advanced Australia Fair for no reason other than someone goaded them in the Twitch chat, which caused the Twitch chat to then, because I think actually ESL put the Twitch chat up on the screen for like, you know, you know, deliberately. Just long enough. Just long enough. And they've seen it and they've gone, now we're going. And so for the next 20 minutes, they did Advanced Australia Fair. They sang their ABCs. They sang the Sesame Street song. And again, they were just having fun. And like, because the other part of it is like, what are those broadcast numbers at an event like like uh, I am? Uh, I think, uh, look, can't quote me on this. It's out there. It's, yeah. a, it's a known thing. I think uh, last year we hit 20 million, uh, not concurrent, but uh, I think uh, we got to 30 million in uh, 2019. So not bad numbers for an event that isn't um, League of Legends World Finals. There are a number of IEM events every year in the same way that the Formula One has stops. Yep. The Intel Extreme Masters had stops around the world. So for the Australian leg on our time zone, um, we're actually very, very happy with that. Oh, completely. Completely. But I th- it was sort of like Twitch chat in real life. I yeah, think it was yeah. great. that was one of the best things I've ever seen, to be honest, being live and experiencing that as well. And kind of coming back to what you were saying around brands understanding it more, uh, the best way that I've found to try and explain to people getting into the space is, you know the scene from The Life of Brian where the, what have the Romans ever done for us? If you think about getting into the space, you're always going to have, because gamers have come from the world of your basement dwellers, like yeah, nobody does that. Only weird people kind of do that. They want to feel like they are being accepted, and this whole thing is being accepted. And when I come back to that, what have the Romans ever done for us? It's like, well, what are you doing for our scene? How are you coming in and helping our scene, and not just throwing a label on it and going, right, that's it. We've done esports now. Um, and whenever you, there are going to be people that are going to ask that question, but then you are going to get people going the aqueduct in the same way that you're going to have people going, no, Maccas is doing good work with this now. And people are enabling us to do more of this stuff now. So that is a a big thing to think about whenever you're coming into the world of esports or gaming is are you coming to meet these people halfway and understand what's going on or are you coming in just trying to do the old traditional, we'll slap a logo on, it'll be fine. Uh, Because that really doesn't work. And it hasn't though. I mean, no, we have seen brands go in and go, cool, young demographic, oh, we'll just do, we'll just run our footy TVC in there. And it's like, well, no, that, like I said before, the bullshit media, yeah. the authenticity is so important. I was just going to say that esports is still at a point where brands coming in with some money can actually make a significant difference. It can mean the difference between a league existing and not existing. It can mean the difference between players playing at home for the finals for a fifty thousand dollars prize pool, or players playing in front of a you know a three or four hundred person audience where they get to meet their fans. Like we are still at that point where that sort of funding can make a huge difference to what you see and what the product looks like uh, for us. If money comes in, it goes into the product, and we build better products based on the money that comes in. So you genuinely can make a difference for uh, an audience based on supporting a scene. Jackie, what about the, like the, 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 the streamers and the content creators that you're working with? Cause they're working in the same space as YouTubers and, and other influencers. Cause we've got to use the name. It's the name. Um, how are they, you know, how are they engaging with sponsors and you know, what, are, what are the, again, what are the sponsors asking of the content creators? So sponsors are currently looking to work with content creators in regards to uh, putting their their logos on their overlays. So I think one of the most important differences between your standard influencer and a content creator would be um, the long format that they're uh, broadcasting over. So your typical Instagram influencer might put up a post, um, (laughs) a a single story or something like that. It might get a lot of uh, reach, uh, but there's not a lot of, um, well, I think declining uh, attrition. Um, one of the good things about being on, on Twitch is that you might have a four-hour stream, a six-hour stream, an eight-hour stream, and having your brand in front of the audience for that long definitely makes a higher attrition. Uh, the influence becomes more solid there, I think. And, um, I mean, I guess there's different ways that they can um, actually use that influence as well, different in-stream mechanics uh, that they can utilise. So um, emotes, um, 
you're even with Twitch um, as a platform, being able to utilize the pre and mid roll um, advertising um, events. Um, Lots of different ways that influencers are utilizing sponsors. So one of the things that, like, I've been trying to figure out myself, like, get being new into the space and trying to figure out where Twitch fits and talking to brands and sponsors is having that conversation of how do I compare what Twitch does with other things that sponsors and brands are now buying, right? So they do they have bought TV commercials for many many years. They have bought spots and dots on TV and radio for many years. They're buying pre-roll. So how do you how do you, you know, how do you translate that to say so they start seeing like for like because we are seeing media budgets and sponsorship budgets move into esports, but I'm finding that that conversation of but I know what that money is getting me and this this is unknown. It's probably a question for Lewis and then Ben. I think it How do you comes, solve that? It comes back to um, what Nielsen was saying, where it, there's data around everything now. The, the beautiful thing about esports is it's digital. You can record a lot of this as long as, long as you are putting in place the infrastructure to record um, trackable links, uh, having uh, ways, uh, um, little games in the chat because you can actually build in virtual games into the chat that can register how many people have shown interest in something. So I think if you're wondering about and worried about going into the unknown, just start looking at the trackable side of things and yep. try and work out how, how do I implement something with tracking to know that I'm getting something and to know that I'm getting an ROI for, for something that I haven't really tried before. Ben, what about yourself? Like talking to brands and agencies that go, you know, we buy, you know, McDonald's are on Channel 7 with the AFL footy and they know we're going to be taught this or told what this is, what we're getting as a result. How does that then translate when you're look, looking at an esports event? Yeah, we certainly have to, or have had to adapt the way that we we speak to these potential partners because uh, a lot of them, again, working with media agencies potentially, and uh, a lot of them don't necessarily have an esports budget. Maybe they have a sports budget, they might have a digital budget, um, and they have expectations for that money, for that budget, and what they can get. And they'll say, "Well, when I buy." Uh, advertising in sports, it costs X and I get Y. Yep. Um, I want the same from you. And ne- we can't necessarily give them uh, the exact same, uh, you know, metrics, to be honest. Like you can give, you can tell them what the numbers are, but they may not line up. It may be more expensive per person uh, to come and sponsor some esports potentially. But uh, what I try and say to them is like, well, if you could hit this market in traditional sports, you wouldn't be talking to me. Um, that they're here, yes, we're still at this point. And yes, I can give you the numbers and we can frame it out in exactly the same way as when you buy your traditional marketing, yep. you spend in your TVCs on, on TV. Um, but you have to understand you're, you're in this with us at the moment because we're growing. Um, so let's get in first. Yeah. And you can't hit that 22-year-old male exactly. that's super engaged. Yeah. And, yeah, and but that has been, you know, and you mentioned before you've got your – sport or your sponsorship budget, your, uh, your digital budget. You know, I think there's a media buying budget that's sitting there that esports can get a chunk of. Um, it's just a matter of how it, how it, gets, how it gets pitched um, because I think it's, it's the same as when digital just came out. And they were going, but we always spend our money on TV. We know what TV is. We know what radio is. It's like digital. It's, you know, at early it was underpriced and people didn't realise and people made a lot of, you know, there's people making a lot of money uh, buying banner ads because they were driving it and esports offering that for a, uh, as I think Frank said before, a niche of a niche, super engaged niche, it's, you know, it's bigger than people think. Um, but I think it is uh, having those conversations with more agencies, with more brands uh, and working in an ecosystem that is going through a lot of change themselves. Um, and doing some education, a bit of ed- educating the market of marketers and um, and setting those expectations early, I think. But then also the other side, so stuff that you're doing and working with teams to go to appropriately value what they've got, Yes. right? So that, that they are getting appropriate value, like you said. Well, at some point, you're coming to us because you want to reach that market. We need to say what this number is. Also, not only that, you've got people that are saying, well, we used to buy on TV. That's when there were seven channels. And then if you bought Fox Sport, cool, there were another 100 channels, but they were a very niche. Um, there's so much content now. 
there's almost infinite amount of content. I think there's a stat of YouTube where for every minute there's 700 minutes uploaded to YouTube at this point in time. So you can't ever catch up to the amount. So now you've got to find those really good big niches where you can have those conversations. And that's, that's what eSport has done. It's actually broken through that, hey, there's a lot of content out there, yet eSports continues to grow and, and pick and, and gaming in general has, has still picked up momentum, even though there's just more out there now. So, Jake, a question for you um, for content creators, you know, and using Twitch as their primary platform, where do other platforms fit? How do they use other platforms to appropriately um, uh, engage their audience and, and drive new audience? How important are different platforms and which ones are the, which ones are the important ones? Um, most content creators will focus on one particular platform. Um, I think Twitch is very popular at doing that uh, in gaming. Uh, they also seem to have the best mechanisms to do that, but they they tend to focus mostly on the platform they stream on, so Twitch, and then your community-building ones like Discord. Um, after that, they would look at um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook is getting up there now. Yep. Uh, for anyone involved in the gaming uh, business sort of side of things and really trying to, you'll notice that there are now influences from gaming on LinkedIn as well. So starting to spread out. Yeah, but it, it, is, it is a constant moving of your fans from different channels. Yep. You know, there's a very much a, you know, uh, you've got to tell people you're streaming. So yeah. you've got to do it and remind them and put and that alert And they each have out. different functions as well. I mean, Instagram obviously tells an entirely different story, but you find that a lot of esports athletes uh, are utilising their Instagram for fitness uh, gym selfies. And <laughs> so big news in the recent week, uh, Ninja, uh, who was the most well-known streamer, um, and, you know, I've been using him in examples and, you know, you can, I think he was in four Super Bowl ads, uh, had that peak moment of playing uh, Fortnite with Drake. Um, he's made the move and been enticed, I guess, moved to Mixer. Is this the, is this the start of the streaming wars? I think that's a nice little bite. Um, I, honestly, I think it's a testament to the work that he's put in um, and the work that we've put in as well. Uh, whenever you're onto something good, you start getting competitors coming along in, in the same way Man United used to have David Beckham and then he went to Real Madrid. Um, that's just going to be the n- nature of something that gets bigger and bigger and is at the scale that we're seeing now. Uh, and it means that you're probably going to get new superstars coming through, whether it be on Twitch, Mixer, Facebook Gaming, wherever. Um, but it's it's an industry that's growing. So, of course, there's going to be interest coming from different different directions. I mean, it's the same as, it's the same as sport, right? Um, you know, we've seen, you know, the big players and I guess sport to, to, a, to a certain degree leverage the players uh, to say, oh, who's going to be part of our TV rights? Oh, we've got this guy called Facebook. They're interested and, oh, Twitter's interested. And and it's effectively validating the market to say gaming is big enough that all the big players want to be part of it. And And you look at the big four that have streaming sites. It's Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft. They're not exactly the small players in the world. So it it is legitimized. It's just about finding people and having those conversations properly now. What do you, uh, what, what's your take on it, Ben, as someone that's on stream and on, uh, on uh, multiple casts? How do you see the scene, again, shaking out? Who knows? But uh, just the, the backwards and forwards is currently happening. Yeah, I've, uh, on the Ninja topic, I think, you know, it's kind of like being an influencer potentially is similar to being a, a professional sports person. Um, you don't know how long you're going to be there for, right? In sports, it could be an injury. Um, as an influencer, you don't know who's going to be the next up-and-comer. Um, so for him, it's about, you know, trying to secure his income for as long as he possibly can. So I, he's set for life now. If he wasn't before, I'm sure he was. But uh, three mansions now instead of one. Um, in terms of, of platforms and things like that, who even knows where it's going to go? I think it's 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 definitely a positive for esports. Um, if you if you go back and you look at the the pie of I think it was your pie even of revenue that yep. we saw before um, for esports, and you see like advertising and sponsorship, this giant chunk down the bottom right, and then there's a, a little bit of ticket sales, and maybe there's a little bit of media rights. Uh, mm. And if you go and you compare that to traditional sports. Media rights is this huge. Media rights asset. is a third. Yeah, exactly. So um, 
for esports in particular, media rights is, is the next big thing, um, and that's going to help us, I suspect, um, you know, lift it up, grow it further. It, it's a big missing part right now. Uh, the answer is not there where it comes from. Does that mean it's going to platforms that charge? Does that mean it's going to, to linear TV? Probably not. Who knows? Um, but it's a missing piece of the pie right now, right? So um, anything that increases the number of platforms where perhaps, you know, the, these these platforms are going to want companies to, to come across or I see an influencer moving from one platform to another identical to, you know, nine losing cricket or gaining cricket or whatever, yeah, tennis, tennis, whatever it may be, you know, yeah. um, it's exactly the same. It, 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 definitely, it definitely is. And I think that whole uh, where esports end up or where influence end up um, is going to come down to audience, right? Twitch is now um, both being in esports but then in traditional sports, you know, recently just last week um, announced uh, capturing the rights of the USA basketball games. Which uh, means the boomers game. That's yep. happening in a couple of weeks. We'll be on Twitch. Yeah, so, the boom yeah. is going to be on Twitch. You've already had a long relationship with the NBA, with the uh, the G League being on Twitch. Um, and I think that's also exciting to, you know, open up Twitch to a completely new audience uh, and then realise those people are obviously most likely playing games as well. Well, it's, look, one of the slides here was uh, I think basketball was second in terms of popularity yep. of gamers. So that means you've got Twitch Influencers, if we want to use that term, um, that like basketball. And all of a sudden, if they're watching a Boomers game with the USA, instead of it being the commentary team, that whoever the network is that came up, that have got the broadcast rights, are, are commentating on this, all of a sudden you can start giving those rights to you know, Panda TV, who is a, a prominent influencer here in Australia, and you get his take on it, or you give it to Loser Fruit that we're talking about before, and maybe they know nothing about basketball, but maybe her chat does, and you, you change the way that content is going to be viewed and experienced by a lot of people, and I think that's, that's going to be a really big play in the next couple of years, that you'll see a lot of people coming in with, oh yeah, I love cricket, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll co-stream the cricket, that'll be fun, um, and I think that that's the next step for a lot of sports is that's how you engage with that young audience. And I think that's also um, some of the opportunity in esports in like I'm surprised how often I hear in, in esports, we've always done it like that. And I'm like, seven years, eight years, guys. Like we, it's not long, but, but there is also on the other side of it, a lot of innovation of, hey, how do we do this differently? Um, and a lot more freedom. You know, there's not the uh, um, contracts that are in place with current sports, you know. If, if foot, football or tennis or cricket want to do something, I'm sure there's a, there's a lawyer there that says they can't, um, whereas there is a bit more flexibility in esports. What does the broadcast look like? Um, what could we do? Is it multiple, you know, engaging streamers to be commentators? Uh, how do we better integrate the chat? Uh, those kind of things that I think make it really exciting. What the big broad question? Uh, what do you think esports fans are looking for from an esports broadcast? I'm going to start. I'm going to start with you, Jackie. Okay. Um, I think from a, from a, a viewer's perspective, they're looking for a bit of creativity. They're looking for the authenticity that you mentioned. They're definitely looking to be entertained. Um, I feel like they don't want to be overly distracted. Yep. <laughs> um, but I like a bit of creativity in the way that brands are being able to be uh, utilised on Twitch. I saw um, a streamer recently uh, getting an Uber Eats delivery to his streaming rig. So he's he's there on stream and he's, he's talking through the game and then his Uber Eats guy comes in and, and delivers him some food and he sits there and eats while he's talking to the, you know, to the delivery driver. And I think something like that, nearly every gamer can relate to. So I think there's some really good opportunity for creativity there. What about yourself, Ben? What do, when you're, when you're having those pre-production meetings and saying, what do we want this broadcast to be? Um, what do you think fans are looking for? Uh, the difficult side of me would say the answer to that is they want it in 4K, they want it at 5,000 frames per second, and they want you to pay them to watch, yeah. um, which is obviously the complete opposite of, of traditional sports. Um, in reality, they want something that's authentic. They want it to be good quality because it, it should be, to be fair. Um, they want it to be engaging. They want to have a fun time, but at the same time, 
they don't want it, as Jackie said, to overshadow what they're actually there for, right? And that does change by game. Um, it changes between audience. So what you could get away with um, in a fortnight broadcast is very different to what you could get away with in a Counter-Strike broadcast, uh, for example. Um, I think, the, for example, the, the guys who broadcast League of Legends here in Australia, the commentators at the OPL, um, the Australian OPL, like the players in this, fantastic. But uh, we're not getting the same views that you're getting for, for Europe, for example. Um, but the commentators go out there, they're painting during the middle of a broadcast. You know what I mean? They're doing these things that are, and, and they're getting the views because of it. So um, it really does depend, but you need to make sure that you understand who your audience is and you're giving them what they want because there's a lot on at the same time and it's all free. Yep. What about yourself, Lewis? I think people want to feel proud that this is where we've got to at this point in time. Like okay. this isn't this, again going back to gamers and, and the world of esports was on the defensive for a while. Of we had to argue that this was legitimate, and now you've got people going, "Oh, did you see Bugger? He just won three million US dollars!" Like, yeah. and that gets posted up there because everyone's like, "See that like." We can do this. This is legitimate. Um, but the argument still has to happen and the, the, the conversation still has to happen. So if you're not putting on a good, high-quality esports event, it's something that the entire community goes, but this isn't what we're proud of. This isn't what we want to be showcasing what we want to see going forward. So I'd, I'd say it's that. And do you think there's a part of the, the broadcast, back to the question that I had to, um, to Shuey and, and MJ and, and Frank of... How can the broadcast connect that gamer to the cast? Um, what, how, do you, how do you tackle that as a shoutcaster, Ben? It is tough, um, and it's also tough because you're not necessarily... Like, not Especially every, if you're not a gamer, like if you're not playing the game. Yeah, and, and particularly if everyone who's watching is, isn't a fan of the game to the same level either. So, you know, if you go and you, we, we do uh, Fortnite at the Australian Open, that audience is a very diverse audience um, of mums and dads and kids and people who will know far more about Fortnite than I ever will, plus people who have never watched a Fortnite game in their life. So interacting with them and, and getting a connection with them to the game and what they're watching on those levels is difficult to achieve for everyone. So it's about, I suppose, finding the best parts of each and trying to touch on those. Um, for hardcore esports fans, I think it's about trying to find ways to, to potentially work with, with Lewis and the guys at Twitch or whatever your broadcast platform is to have that interaction with chat, either through social media or give them away. Because let's be real, we've got this amazing interactive platform yeah. um, and they want to be a part of it. And I think that that's the one thing, or not the one thing, one of the things that influencers do well is that they make their audience feel like they're part of their community. Um, it may be more difficult with, the, you know, 100,000 people watching an esports game, but at the same time, that's what we're competing with as uh, an esports broadcast company, trying to, to bring them back across and have them have some affinity with us when there's so much else going on as well. But it, it, it is a challenge, and again, if I look at it from a sports point of view, working with uh, the FFA and the, and, the, and the Socceroos, and right, um, you'll have your hardcore fans, your football fans that follow the Socceroos, know the rules. Then when it's World Cup time, your AFL and NRL fans go, yeah, I follow the Socceroos, don't know what offside rule is, don't it? And so you've got to find this balance, you know, and this is the constant battle I would have with the FFA guys to say, we need to talk to those fans. But as soon as you explain the offside rule on the Twitter account, all the hardcore football fans go, we don't need to be told that, right? And so it's this balance between, you know, serving your hardcore fans that are in, but then wel be welcoming enough to the new fans, um, I think is the challenge. It's a, it's a broadcasting challenge, not an esports broadcasting challenge, but I think there's part that the streamers can be part of that? Oh, absolutely. I've seen them um, even on current events, uh, esports matches, uh, just joining in and watching it with their chat. Uh, they might sit there and watch a, an entire match and have their own discussion based on it, um, bringing up all different points and different perspectives. And, and those sorts of things can be far more, I guess, um, entertaining for somebody who doesn't necessarily know what's going on. <laughs> and do you think, like I've spoken to you about it, you think there's going to be it should be more crossover of what esports is and what streamers are and having a bit more conversation. So, Because Twitch is really built on this 
overlapping audiences. And- it is. Uh, and yes, uh, I think one of the biggest problems esports has at the moment is personality. It, it needs the, the competitors in a lot of areas you wouldn't know who's actually on the team. You know the team itself, but you have no idea who these players are. Whereas you look at traditional sport, a lot of times people get new members and new fans because somebody just joined. Like Cristiano Ronaldo joins Juventus. Now they've got a whole bunch of Juventus fans. Del Piero comes to Sydney FC. The whole of Italy is now a Sydney FC fan. So it needs, it does need a bit more personality from that perspective. And I think the more you see um, esports players having time on their hands and it becoming more professional, that's when you're going to see them being able to start streaming and start building that audience because the skill's there. Like you're watching people at the highest level play these games. So you're already watching, you're gravitated towards them for that reason. And then they've just got to show off who they are as a personality and then people are going to give them more time and more care and they, the, whole, the whole industry benefits from that. And that's a big part of broadcast, right? The, the hero building and the, the, the storytelling around the players, I think, agree, the players have to do some heavy lifting because the broadcast can say how great they are, but if they're not engaging on, the platform, on all platforms, it makes it really tough. So I think it is a mix of that to... Um, how they can be, I guess, part of the scene. If you ever want to look at the best example, it's Pasha. There's a guy who used to play for a uh, Polish Counter-Strike team. Uh, his name was the Bi- oh, it was Pasha Biceps. He was just a tank. And on his Instagram, he's always at the gym, taking his dog for a walk, going out with his wife, like just being a personable person. And when he came onto Twitch, the first time he streamed, he got 40,000 concurrence, which is, you imagine, that's the amount of the SCG fills. Yep. Just sitting there you know, watching him and wanting to hang out with him because he's been this character within the scene for so many years. And there's no reason that every player can't be doing that. So just for the, for the audience and people who don't understand the room, you drop the, you know, 40,000 concurrents. Uh, so explain some of the, I guess, some of the stats and um, how they work and I guess what is successful on Twitch, at sure. least in this market. So a lot of other platforms will look at views as the, the big the shiny metric in the sky. We look at it in minutes watched. So if you have, let's say, 10,000 people watching for a, I don't know, 10 minutes each, you have, what, 100,000 minutes at yep. that point in time. Thank God I got my math yep, right at yep. that point in time. I was thinking that's yeah, the, yeah, I'm no, glad like, you framed that easy Jesus. by the end. <laughs> um, so it, the longer you have people watching for, the more engaged they are, the more they're chatting, the more you can have a conversation with them and they can kind of work out, okay, this brand's come along and is sponsoring, but they're doing all the right things. And one of the best examples is Geico, who sponsored a Rocket League tournament in the U.S., um, and instead of the prize money being his $50,000, they gave the top four teams' players a salary for the year. So they became semi-professional to professional. But if you've got somebody sitting there for 30 seconds and they have no idea of that concept, then they just see Geico and go, I don't, I don't really care. But if they're sitting there engaged for I mean, our, our average view time a day per person per day is 106 minutes on the platform. So if you've got somebody sitting there for over an hour a day, you can have that conversation and explain why you're trying to help, explain, explain why your brand or your product or whatever you're trying to you push to them is worthwhile of their time and listening to and what you are doing to help these guys. Um, so for us, concurrence, which is how many people are watching at that specific time. Yep. Um, and then minutes watched is uh, if these guys are watching for that time, then how many minutes does that generate? And minutes? do you think is that part of the, I guess, the answer to the question from before, how you do explain it is different? Because views are different all over the web, right? You know, it's a view on Facebook and a view on YouTube are different and the digital, you know, they I mean, views, views still have their place. Like, yep. if you are getting a lot of views, you are hitting a lot of eyeballs. Yep. Um, it's just whether they you are hitting them in the way that you want them to. Uh, but yeah, for us, it really is like, what is the longevity of somebody sitting down and engaging with this? And it's part of that piece that Ben was doing before. It's different because it's this deeper engagement. So again, if you're saying, you know, your watch time is three hours, that's someone's watching the whole thing for three hours. It's like you're engaged at a cinema. And you're sitting in the cinema and you're watching, you know, it's a different level. Of but you're also annoying everyone by typing on your phone to everyone else in the cinema at the exact same time. And there's even that metric, right? I can go back and I can say, hey, I had this many views. I had this amount of time watch. And I also had 100,000 messages typed yeah. in chat. Yeah. Like you can't say that people type, like those, those people are clearly engaged with the content. Um, 
So even if they are spamming emotes, they're, you know, they're there, they're partaking. But it is also coming out with, again, back to your point, um, I guess things that are trackable and showing that there's action. Um, at the, you know, the grand final for split one for the OPL, they had a skin giveaway. And they said, when the Baron goes, skin giveaway. Shook. Yep. Right? Thousand skins gone like that. Right? And, then, and if you went to a Channel 7, you know, Channel 7 executive and said, oh, can we just put uh, something down the bottom that says people to claim a Big Mac after x goal? Like, they wouldn't get that engagement. And it's because they're locked in there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that goes back to um, something you were mentioning before is the, the fans that are on the fence, the people that you're trying to grab as the next group of fans, reward them. Like, why are you not re- – look, traditional television is the reward is you get this good quality content. But if you start going uh, – one of the big things that we do on Twitch is, is drops. So there are publishers that will say, you're watching this person at this point in time. You have a chance of winning some in-game loot. That is saying, thank you very much for watching. We appreciate it. Here you go. Here's a, here's a potential prize out of that. And uh, that could be transitioned quite easily into going back to the FFA. Like If you've got people watching football for X amount of time, take 20 bucks off your registration fees next year. And that's the way you're going to bring the next generation through. Okay. Before we wrap up, does anyone have any streaming or Twitch-related questions before we uh, wrap things up? No? Well, hopefully I'll be able to push to a live stream. I don't know if the teams have turned up. Um, but I want to thank... Owen, can you please put your hands together to thank our panel, um, to talk about broadcast, Jackie, Ben and Lewis. Thank you very much, guys. New workshops on audience, content, distribution, valuation, and pitch following SportsGeek's Digital to Dollars process. Go to digitaltodollars.com. Thanks again to Lewis Mitchell, Ben Green, and Jackie Garrett uh, to be part of that panel. Uh, I know I've learned a lot about Twitch as a platform and streaming as a platform and how the audience engages with uh, streaming and, and esports broadcasts overall. Um, I think it's still a developing scene. I'm really looking forward to seeing where it does develop. Um, this is the last episode in this sub-series, uh, special series around money and esports. I would love your feedback. Um, please send me an email, sean at sportsgeekhq.com. will find me at Sean Callanan if you want to send me a tweet. Uh, these episodes have been released both in the Sports Geek feed. So if you're a regular Sports Geek listener, I hope the frequency of having five episodes in a row hasn't been too daunting. If you're a new listener and you've found this via SGE Sports, welcome. Um, if you want more content like this, more interviews about the world of sports, technology, and marketing, you can find that on the Sports Geek feed. Simply search for Sports Geek in your podcast player. Um, or you can go to sportsgeekhq.com uh, to find all episodes. Um, that's it for this episode. I love your, again, love your feedback on this as a series. Do you want more sub series like this, topic based around a world like esports? Um, I'm looking at different ways for the podcast to develop um, and this is one of them of repurposing content from from an event like Money in Esports. Thanks very much to uh, Jason and Lou and Matt and the guys at Tribal Sports uh, around the collaboration of Money in, Money in Sport. Um, really enjoyed doing, uh, doing the day and I guess educating the industry on the world of esports. It's something that I know is uh, paramount for everyone in esports um, I thought there was a lot of good discussions and a lot of bullish conversations around where esports is headed, both here in Australia, but also uh, globally. So yeah, don't let this be the only time that we uh, connect. Uh, we have two regular newsletters that go out. Uh, Sports Geek News that's been going out for six years on a weekly basis is a pretty much a roundup of all the links and articles that I read on a weekly basis. So if you want to keep up to date with what I'm reading around the sports, technology, marketing, digital space, you can do that with Sports Geek News, uh, sportsgeekhq.com slash SGN. Um, and then additionally, now when I'm diving more into the esports space with my own team, Gravitas, um, I'm obviously reading a lot more in the esports space. So that uh, we are doing a regular fortnightly email um, at sgesports.com. So if you're interested in that, please go to SGE Sports and sign up. Um, 
Last thing, um, it's a session. It's a session that I'm currently doing with a bunch of different international clients, um, and it's valid for both uh, sports geek clients and esports clients. Um, it's a session called Pick My Brain. Uh, it's a two hour. It's a two hour session via GoTo Meeting, where we dive in on the topics and the issues that you're looking to do. Whether that's reviewing your commercial strategy and finding opportunities, reviewing a content piece. Uh, sharing some global trends and what you can do. Um, pretty much the scope is all over to you. How can, um, knowing that my goal as Sports Geek and now eSports is to help drive more revenue, drive more revenue from a digital initiatives. Um, so if you want to book in for those, you can simply go to sportsgeekhq.com slash pickmybrain. Find a two-hour slot that works for you. Uh, you book there and then, and uh, we'll chat uh, via via go-to meeting for, for a really good deep dive to our session. And my job is to give, give you more value than what you pay every time you do it. So if you've got a question about that, you can always send me an email, sean at sportsgeekhq.com. Um, until next episode, when we return to regular pro- programming on the Sports Geek feed, my name is Sean Callanan and you've been listening to Sports Geek. Join Sports Geek Nation access to exclusive Slack and Facebook groups with regular Q&A sessions with Sean Callanan. Go to sportsgeeknation.com to join. Need help with your digital rate card? Not sure how to price your assets? Is there a disconnect between digital and commercial? That is where Sean works best in digital divorce counselor mode. Book a time for a call with Sean to discuss the Sports Geek process. Go to sportsgeekhq.com slash phone call. Go to sportsgeekhq.com for more sports digital marketing resources.